When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast, of course, brought to you by our great friends at Alumni Hall. I know a lot of you are heading to Athens this weekend to take in the G-Day spring game. So on your way into town, do yourself a favor and make a quick pit stop at Alumni Hall inside the Epps Bridge Shopping Center. They're just past the Oconee Connector. And find yourself some awesome new gear for the spring, for the summer, for G-Day. As far as I'm concerned, you can never have too much Georgia gear. But alright guys, I am your host Tyler. And as promised, I am back today one final time this week for our official G-Day preview episode. Curtis and I try guys, we tried to make it work. Our schedules were just in totally different places this week and we couldn't carve out more than like 10 minutes where we both had some time to jump on here and it just didn't really make sense to to do a 10-minute G-Day preview episode. So I just decided ultimately to jump on here and do this one solo. And honestly, guys, this this is an episode that we do every single year. And I feel like I say this every single year, so I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself. I apologize. But this episode is one of those things I never really know exactly how to approach it because it's not a real game. I know we call it a spring game, but it's not actually a real game. It, it's a scrimmage. That's what it is. It's it's one practice. It's one scrimmage. Our coaches might put a little more emphasis on this practice, this scrimmage, than the other practices of the spring. But in reality, that's what it is. It's just the one practice, the one scrimmage that we get to see from the spring. So, of course, we place this outsized importance on it, which, you know, that's, that's what fans do because it's all that we get to see. But it doesn't mean as much to the coaching staff and there's there's no opponent and, and that's that's where I struggle. You guys know during the season I love to dive into our official game preview episodes because that's what I love to do. I love breaking down games, breaking down opponents, giving you guys my thoughts, telling you what I've seen on tape. But that's not what G-Day is. I know there's been a lot of talk this spring about, hey, it'd be cool if if we had some of these lower-level FBS teams, maybe some FCS teams play these, these big-time Power 5 programs in the spring games, and maybe that'll happen one day. I don't know, but it's not happening this year. So it's always kind of a weird thing for me to approach because I, I don't know where to take it, but 
what I've kind of settled on the past couple of years is just giving you guys a list of things that I will be watching very closely as I sit inside Sanford Stadium on Saturday afternoon. So that's what we're going to do today. I got a list of 10 things, the top 10 things that I will be watching for inside Sanford Stadium as we get to take in some Georgia football this Saturday, which I am very excited about, guys. I mean, it's just, it's such a long offseason. That's the thing about college football. It's the greatest sport there is, in my opinion. The regular season is the greatest regular season. Postseason, eh, you know, is what it is. But it's so short. It goes by so fast. And then our offseason is just this seemingly interminable stretch of time. And this is kind of the midpoint. This is the midpoint of the offseason where we get a little glimpse of some college football. And dear God, I'm going to hold on to it for dear life. But yeah, I've got 10 things that I will be watching very closely on Saturday. And also, at the end of the show, if you guys don't mind, if you'll just humor me, I would love to talk a little Georgia tennis. Give some love to your outright SEC champion, Georgia men's tennis team. And give some love to the women as well, because they are having one hell of a season themselves. So we'll, we'll wrap the show with that. But for now, let's go ahead and let's dive right into the top 10 things that I will be watching on Saturday for Georgia's annual G-Day intra-squad scrimmage. And let's start at the bottom, guys. Let's start at the bottom and let's work our way up. Coming in at number 10 on my list, let's start with the interior defensive line. We know what we're losing at that position. Jalen Carter, wherever he ends up going in the NFL draft, I still think it's going to be inside the top 10, probably inside the top five. We will see how that plays out at the end of the month. But regardless of where Jalen goes in the NFL draft, we know what type of player, what type of difference maker Jalen Carter was for the Georgia Bulldogs during his time here in Athens, especially when he was healthy last year. We were a different defense. We were always good defensively, but we were certainly not the same without Jalen in there, without that game wrecker, that difference maker on the interior of our defensive line, which has really been not just last year, but it's been a hallmark of these elite Kirby Smart defenses here at Georgia really since, I guess, going back to the 2017 season. I know John John Atkins wasn't the type of player that a guy like Jordan Davis was, but he was still really good for us on the interior of our defensive line, anchoring us there at that zero-tech nose guard position back in 2017. We won the Rose Bowl, go to the national championship game. But then you follow it up with guys like Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt, Jalen Carter, and we've just kind of had this succession of elite difference makers on the interior of our defensive line. And sometimes some of those guys are actually on the same defensive line, which is crazy to think about. But one of the big concerns I have going into 2023 is who is that guy? Who is that guy on this team? Who is that difference maker on the interior of our defensive line? I don't know who that guy is. I don't know if we have anyone who will be that type of difference maker on the interior. I think we have candidates who could develop into that. Obviously, Bear Alexander, who had some really nice moments at different points last season, especially to end the season. He could certainly develop into a difference maker, but we need to see him be more consistent and more consistently strong at the point of attack. We know he has the athleticism. He has the twitch. He can do that. I don't really have many doubts on that front. I just need to see him do it more consistently. And that happens. 
happens, guys. He was a freshman last year. So you usually see a big jump with these guys from their freshman to sophomore year, especially if they do get a fair amount of playing time that freshman season the way that Bear Alexander did. So I think he has a chance to become that guy, but we haven't seen it yet. So you just you can't see here and say, oh yeah, he is that guy. We have not seen it. I think he has the ability to grow into it, but is he ready to be that guy right now? I don't know the answer to that. A guy that you know I'm very high on, that's a early enrollee right now, a true freshman, is Jordan Hall. I am sky high on this guy and his and his potential and what he can do for us on the interior of that defensive line. He is going to be a difference maker. I really don't have a question about that. Like At some point in his career, he will be a difference maker for us at that position. The question I have as it concerns this season is, Will he be ready as a true freshman? Even Jalen Carter, he was good as a true freshman. He played for us as a true freshman. He showed flashes as a true freshman in 2020. But he wasn't that dominant difference maker that he was, you know, 2021, 2022. Can Jordan Hall be that guy right away? I I think there's a chance. I can't see here and say with a straight face, oh, yeah, it's going to happen. As I tell you all the time when, when I talk about true freshmen, I don't count on them. Like, as a rule, I just don't count on them to be the guys that you have to lean on. If you get something like that out of them, if you get a Brock Bowers type freshman year, that's just that's gravy. That's a luxury. It's awesome. But I don't think you should be in the position of having to count on that. So I'm not counting on it, but I'm also not completely discounting that possibility. Because I think Jordan Hall physically, I think he's more physically ready than even Jalen Carter was as a true freshman. The guy is a flat out animal. Like he is. He's a flat out animal. And he has that quickness, that athleticism, and I, I'm just, I'm in love with this guy. I think he's going to be a big time player for us again. I just don't know if it's going to be this year. Maybe we'll see some flashes of that at G Day. Then you got Warren Brinson, who I, I think we know who Warren Brinson is at this point. He's been around for long enough for us to kind of have a pretty good idea of who he is and who I believe Warren Brinson is. Is a really, really good player for us. I don't know if he has shown that he's a difference maker. And and maybe he can take it to the next level. Maybe he has another gear that we haven't seen yet. But Warren is a really quick guy on the interior of our defensive line. He gives us a really good pass rush. He's not as strong at the point of attack. So I, I don't know if he's that crazy disruptive force that offensive coordinators have to game plan around the way they had to game plan around Jalen Carter and the way they had to game plan around Jordan Davis. I don't know if he's that kind of guy. At least I haven't seen it yet, but hey, I'm hopeful. Maybe he can show me a little something on Saturday out there in, inside Sanford Stadium and maybe he can, he has another level he can take it to. Christian Miller is another name. He was a guy that I was pretty high on coming out of high school in the 2022 class, the same class as Bill Alexander, by the way. But he didn't really play much as a true freshman. Need a little time to get in the weight room, fill out his frame, get a little stronger. So you didn't really see much, if any, of him last year. But he's also a guy that I believe can be a big-time player for us on the interior. Once he gets a little stronger, continues to develop and refine his game, I'm still very high on him. I just don't know if it's reasonable to expect him to go from really not playing at all last year to all of a sudden being like the go-to difference maker on the interior of our defense line. I think that's a little bit too much of a leap of faith for me to say he's going to go from what he was as a freshman to that kind of player in year two. Maybe. I guess it's possible. I just I don't know if that's a reasonable expectation at this point. But regardless, I will be watching that interior defensive line position very, very closely. And look, you know, we know what we have in Nas Stackhouse. Nas Stackhouse was a beast for us last year. Was he Jordan Davis? No, like he wasn't. He's not going to be. He's a different player. He's not Jordan, okay? Let's not hold that against him. Nas was 
exceptionally good for us last year. And I don't want to say that there was no drop-off there. I mean, he, he's just a different kind of player. But Nas is a guy that really surprised me in how well he was able to anchor. I, I didn't know if he would be able to, to do that as well as Jordan Davis. And no, he like he didn't do it as well as Jordan Davis, but he was also pretty damn good at it. So I, I feel really good about Nas at the Zero Tech. Can Nas develop into a difference maker? Because I don't think he was quite a difference maker last year, at least how I would define that. I think maybe he could. I think maybe he has another gear he could take his game to, can get a little bit stronger at the point of attack with some of these other guys, can need to grow and develop in our strength and conditioning program. But he was really strong with that last year. I also liked how much of a pass rush he gave us from that zero tech position, be able to push the pocket from the middle of the defense. I thought he did a really good job with that most of the season. But I think this is a guy that has some athleticism at that position and could potentially grow into that difference maker. I, I need to see a little bit more before I go that far, but I, I don't think it's a stretch to say he can maybe grow into that. Zion Logue is a guy that has the positional versatility in our defensive line. He can play the five tech. He's really more of a three tech guy. He can play the five situationally if he needs to. Um, and he's another guy that's just, it's kind of like Nas Stackhouse. Really, really, really solid. A really, really good football player. He's, done, he's played a lot of downs for us and does some really good things for our defense. But has he shown the ability to be a difference maker? I, I would say no to this point. But uh, kind of the moral of the story here on the defensive line, can, can he take the next step? Can he? And that's what I'm watching for. That's why this is certainly one of the positions I'll be watching very closely on Saturday. All right, let's go to the next one here. Number nine on my list. I'm really excited to watch this young running back duo in action. Now, we've seen Branson Robinson in action in actual game settings in the SEC. Like we know what this guy can do. Basically rushed for 100 yards against Auburn. Uh had a hell of a of, of an end to the national championship game. Now, I know TC was kind of beaten up by then, but hey, Branson Robinson came to play when he got his opportunity. He made the most of it. So we've seen him. We know the kind of player he is, but what we haven't seen from Branson is him being the feature back, right? He's going to be the guy that's going to get the lion's share of the carries at G-Day because we know there's no Kendall Milton. Dejon Edwards has been banged up all spring long. So it's really been most of the spring. It's been Branson Robinson and Roger Robinson. It's been the brothers Robinson. And no, they're not actually brothers. They are both running backs and they are both from the state of California. But no, they are not brothers. But those have been the two dudes that have been really getting almost all the carries at the running back position, at least with the number one and number two units, because we just don't really have anyone else that's healthy right now. Obviously, with Andrew Paul still not clear from the ACL tear last year. So they're going to get some carries. Now, I don't think that we're going to run the ball all that much because that's usually not what you see at G-Day. Like our, our coaching staff, like we know what we can do run the football. You want to go out there and put a show on for the for the fans. You want to get to see the quarterbacks in action. You want to see the quarterbacks get plenty of opportunities to throw the football. We'll run it a couple of times. I don't imagine we'll run it a lot. I really don't. That's not all that uncommon when we talk about spring games. But when they do get opportunities, I really want to see what they look like. And I, I want to see Branson in pass protection. I, I know what Branson Robinson brings to the table as a running back, as a runner. We know what this guy is. I think he is the best true running back on the team. But it's the it's the things outside of running the football that he needs to continue to grow with as, as a guy going into his second year. Pass protection, catching the ball in the backfield, those kind of things. So I want to see, has he, has he kind of improved in some of those areas that he wasn't great at last year as a true freshman? Is he ready to really be the feature back and to carry the weight for this team at the running back position. And what do we have in Roger Robinson? This is a guy that, you know, is a tough as nails kind of guy in high school, played on basically one leg in the state championship game and still ran for like a like 200 plus yards or right about it. I think it was like 180 something, but close to 200 yards. And he's a big boy. He's a big boy. I told you guys before, I've seen him out around, around town. I actually saw him downtown not too long ago. That's a big boy. That is a big boy at the running back position, but he's really light on his feet. 
He's really good in a short area, so I want to see what he looks like here now that he's been on campus for a couple of weeks. I'll be watching that very closely. Just look, I, we know that you know we're going to get Kendall Milton back at some point. Dejon Edwards is going to be back. But with Kendall's injury history, like I don't, I don't like throwing like the, you guys know, I, I don't like calling him or really any of our players injury prone. I think that's just more so something that just, you know, it's, it's one of those coincidental random kind of things just happens to guys from time to time. And look, you know, when you get these, these lower body, like soft tissue injuries, those things can tend to linger and they can get re-aggravated very easily. And Kendall has certainly fallen victim to that the past year or so. So I think we'll get back at, at some point, but you just, you don't know, man, like, oh, those injuries going to pop up again. So I really want to see in what kind of shape are we in if, if we have to go without Kendall Milton. And I think we're going to be in really good hands, but I'm excited to see those guys out there on Saturday. Moving along here, going to number eight on my list. Guys, 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 you know, I'm a linebacker guy. I love watching inside linebackers. That's my favorite position. It's what I played. It's what I coached for a while. And uh, yeah, I love it. So I am very excited to see what we have in these young inside linebackers. Now we know who the starters are. There's no questions there at all. It's Pop Dumas Johnson and Smile Mondin. Those are the top two guys at the linebacker position, the inside linebacker position for us. And there's zero questions about that. What I have more of a question about is who's behind them. Because you know how we how we roll inside linebacker. We rotate. Now, it depends on how many guys we have we have trust and how many guys we think can actually help us there. Sometimes it's a three-man rotation. Sometimes it's a four-man rotation. just kind of depends. We have heard rave reviews on the true freshman in, in, in C.J. Allen and Raylan Wilson, who are here as early enrollees. C.J. Allen, from what I understand, what I've been told, is a little bit further along right now, which doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, Raylan Wilson's a guy that's actually a, basically a year younger than all these guys. He's still growing and developing. He grew a lot as a senior, but he's still a year behind some of them. But C.J. Allen is a guy that, you know, we know when he came here for bowl practices, he came to play. And he was making a name for himself on the scout team, really impressing the coaches. And he has just kept that momentum going. He hit the ground running this spring. And I was told early in the spring, I don't know where it stands right now, but a couple of weeks ago, I was told, like, hey, he's basically running as, like, the first guy off the bench at inside linebacker. But we've also heard Kirby Smart talk about Xavier Sori within the past week or so as a guy who, going into his third year, has really started to come along. The light has come on for him at inside linebacker. We've talked about him before. This is a guy who didn't really play inside linebacker in high school. He didn't really play off the ball. He's more of like an edge guy. So it's always going to take him some time to to really develop at that position. And that's that's what we've seen play out. And that's why I, I haven't given up on on Xavier. So I know sometimes guys go the first two years on campus and they don't play. And you're like, you yeah, know, what? Well, that guy's a bust. His former five-star didn't play for, for his first two years. Dude's a bust. And I, I never felt that way about Sori because I knew that it was going to take some time for him to develop an inside linebacker. That's where we felt like we wanted to play him, which clearly has been where we've played him. But Sori is a guy with some versatility because he did play on the edge at the high school level. He has some pass rush abilities. That's one of the reasons, I mean, that was probably the primary reason why he opened the season in our dying package. It wasn't Jalen Walker, it was Xavier Sori. Walker kind of took over that job as the season progressed because he also has some pass rush ability too. And he's a little bit more, maybe a little bit more explosive than Xavier Sori is, but Sori has a skill set and he has a skill set that we can utilize. And I'm very curious, and we're not going to show a lot. Like, we're going to be pretty vanilla. We know that's how spring games work. But I, I want to see how he's developed playing inside linebacker, doing the things inside linebackers have to do, reading keys, triggering downhill, getting through traffic, flowing, all of those things. How well has he developed doing those things? Because if he can if he can really sharpen his game in that regard, 
I have zero questions about the athleticism and the skills that he brings to the table. It's just a matter of learning the position. And if he's made strides there, then watch out for this guy. I'm telling you, watch out for Xavier Sori. Now, another guy that I've actually started to hear more and more about as the spring has progressed is a guy going to his second year. His name is EJ Lightsey. We basically didn't talk about him all last year because if you remember, after I think it was after he signed with us, but late in that recruiting cycle, in the 2022 recruiting cycle, this dude got shot. All right, he got shot, and it, it was a completely like I don't want to say it was an accidental shooting. Somebody meant to shoot the gun, but he was an innocent bystander. He wasn't the target. He just happened to be in the area, and a stray bullet struck him. And it, it was kind of touch and go. Like, is this guy going to be playing football? We don't know. There was, it was kind of like it was people were mum about that. You couldn't really give much. But yes, he's still on the team. He's still playing football. He's still on scholarship. And not only is he still on scholarship, but this dude has has really opened some eyes this spring as well. Apparently. And uh, he's kind of working himself in the conversation to potentially be in the rotation at inside linebacker. So he's another guy that I'm excited to watch. And even though I I haven't heard as much about Raylan Wilson this spring, he's still a guy that I know is extraordinarily gifted. And I want to see him out there in action. I think he needs maybe to get a little bit bigger and stronger. But he's a guy that, man, is so athletic. And he's so naturally gifted to that position. So all those guys, C.J. Allen, Raylan Wilson, Xavier Sori, E.J. Leitze, I want to see what those guys look like because I want to see like who's next. Who are those guys that are going to be in the rotation behind Smile Mondin and behind Pop Dumas Johnson? But all right, guys, there are the first couple of things I'm going to be watching. We'll keep this thing rolling here in just a second, but I real quickly want to take a moment to remind you guys once again about our friends at Alumni Hall. Guys, I know I say it all the time, but I truly mean it. There is no better place for a Georgia Bulldog fan to go get some gear than Alumni Hall. For instance, you know, I've told you guys before, I like the vintage UGA logo. So I like the Block G, I like the old Bulldog, the standing Bulldog. I like the Bulldog with the the cap, just the Bulldog face. I I love all these vintage logos. I, I really, I really, really do. And it's really hard to find those vintage logos at some of these other stores that sell George gear, it's not a problem at Alumni Hall. They have an entire collection of them. And I basically have them in every color, every variation, every color. But one of my favorite ones was my red Block G polo, Nike Golf polo. And I recently was an idiot, and I spilled some stuff on it. I stained it. I did the spray and wash thing, tried to get it out, but nah, to no avail. It did not work. So I was I was heartbroken. I was devastated. But, you know, I was like, oh, wait, why am I devastated? Alumni Hall's got me covered. And yeah, they definitely did. I just made a quick trip up there. Actually, yesterday, popped right in there real fast, picked up a brand new red Nike Golf Block G Polo. And man, it is beautiful. I will be rocking that this Saturday inside Sanford Stadium. So guys, I mean, they just take care of you, man. They, they absolutely do. It's a Georgia fan's best friend. That, that's what Alumni Hall is. So do yourself a favor, guys. If you're coming in town, I know a lot of you are. If you're coming in town this weekend, make a quick pit stop there inside the Epps Bridge Shopping Center just past the Oconee Connector. And get yourself some George gear while you're in town. If you can't make it, I know things are going on. You got things going on in your life. Just go to alumnihall.com and you can have access to everything they have in store. And they'll ship it to you really quickly. And they'll send you a little extra something. They they always wrap it up real nice, guys. They send you a handwritten personalized note. I mean, who else does that? Who else does that? No one. No one is the answer. No one else does that. So make sure when you're ready to buy some George gear, do your shopping with Alumni Hall. Because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldogs shop. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, guys, we're back here. Let's keep this thing rolling, and let's go to number seven on my list, and let's talk about the cornerback battle. This wasn't higher on my list only because I we, we know that we have one of those spots completely taken care of. Kamari Laster is back. Kamari Laster is our best cover guy as the season progressed last year, and I think he is ready to have a monster junior year. I'm very, very excited about Kamari Lasseter. I'm more interested, though, obviously, in who takes over for Keely Ringo. I thought Dalen Everett was going to be the pretty clear answer there because he was the first guy off the bench last year. He was basically backing up both Keely Ringo and Kamari last year. He was that dude. I thought maybe Nyland Green would have a shot because he was in the competition with, with Kamari last year before Kamari ultimately was able to hold him off and take control of that job and, and obviously never really looked back. So I thought maybe those two guys, and I wasn't sure who else would really be in the conversation. But here's the thing, guys. We've recruited so well at that position. Honestly, I would say that there's no other team in the country that has recruited the cornerback position as well as we have over the past couple years. Honestly, it's to the point now where it's, to me, it's like, how do we keep getting these guys? Like, they know the the DB room, the cornerback room is loaded, right? But some way, somehow, we keep getting them. That some way, somehow, his name is Kirby Smart and Will Muschamp because those dudes just know how to recruit. And it doesn't matter how full the room is. They just get dude after dude after dude. So some of those guys have really started to make some headway this spring. Julio Humphrey's a guy. I started to hear his name mentioned more prominently a couple of weeks ago, and that has not abated one bit in the past couple of weeks. This is a guy that was a, a true freshman last year, part of the 2022 class. We know Jaheim Singletary are transferred out. Humphrey did not. Humphrey stayed around. He battled for that position, and he is in the thick of that battle right now. He's very much in think of that conversation true freshman AJ Harris five-star prospects another dude that yeah he's young he's still very very much learning but he oozes talent like the the skill set this guy has might be unmatched among all the guys in this competition but he's just a little bit behind from a knowledge standpoint now him being early enrollee certainly helps him because you take your bumps here in the spring when you're just trying to get better and that positions you when you go into fall camp when these position battles are really truly decided to be in a much better spot to actually be able to make a legitimate run at that job so I would not discount AJ Harris I would not discount Julio Humphrey I would still if I had to handicap it right now I'd still lean Dalen Everett because of his experience last year, got more playing time than these guys last year, got more reps for the actual defense, wasn't really running scout team because he was in he was in the two deep last year. So I still lean him, but it's certainly an open competition at this point with him, Nylon Green, with Julio Humphrey, with AJ Harris, all those guys. So I, I'm very curious to see how all of them look because we're gonna need an answer there. Like we we need somebody because playing that cornerback position for us with how we like to man up on the outside, play some press man stuff, and really put a lot of pressure on our cornerbacks. We need an answer there, and I think that we do with all the talent that we have. We have to have an answer there. I'm just curious who that answer is actually gonna ultimately end up being. All right, coming in at number six, let's stick in the secondary for this one. I'm very curious to see what Tyke Smith looks like right now at this stage in his career, 
uh, coming out of the spring where this is a guy that has that has really, really put himself in a position to be a starter this year. Kirby in his most recent press conference was was asked about Tyke Smith and he had a, a really long answer and he kind of summed it up at the end by essentially saying, this is a guy who has put himself in a position to have a really good senior year. And you don't always hear those kind of things coming from Kirby Smart. So taking that quote and taking what he said in, in totality about Tyke Smith, that interview, and not in isolation, but taking that along with what we already know about Javon Bullard repping with the ones at safety, that's a pretty strong indication to me that right now, Tyke Smith's the leader in the clubhouse to be our starter at the star position, which is what we brought him in for in the first place coming out of West Virginia. So I'm, I'm excited about that, and I'm curious to see how he looks. Because I think at this point, it's pretty clear our coaches would prefer to have Javon Bullard at safety. But as I've said many times over the course of the spring, Javon Bullard was a flat-out beast for us at star last year. And I do have some reservations about moving him out of that position because that is a critical spot in our defense and he was very, very, very good in that role last year. I mean, hell, guys, I mean, he was the defense MVP of both the Peach Bowl and the National Championship game. We quite literally do not win the National Championship without Javon Bullard at that spot. So I'm hesitant to see him move away from a position where he performed so admirably for us last year. But what that also tells me is our coaches are really high on what Tyke Smith can give us. I don't think our coaches would make that move unless they felt like Tyke Smith or they had somebody else would be able to perform at the level that Javon Bullard did last year. I don't think they would make that move unless they had some some real confidence that that was the case. So I believe the coaches are really confident in Tyke Smith. And, you know, he started the Missouri game last year in place of Javon Bullard when Bullard missed that one game and he was suspended for that one game. And I thought he played really well in that game. Now, he is not quite as fast and athletic as, as Javon Bullard is. But this is a guy that's not like Javon Bullard. What makes him a fit at that position? He's not afraid to stick his nose in there and play with some physicality and get involved in the run game. You have to have a guy that's willing and also capable of doing that at that position within our defense. And Javon Bullard, he was an expert at that. That's what made him so dynamic at that spot for us. And I think Tyke has a lot of that as well. I just I don't know if he, he has quite the level of, of athleticism, at least what I've seen. Now, he's also coming back from an ACL tear last year. So there's that. So how much... Better does he look this year, another year removed from the ACL tier. So I'll, I'll certainly be watching Tyke very closely at that star position. And what the hell, guys? While we're at it, let's stick in the secondary and let's go with number five here. Let's go Javon Bullard. I, I just got done talking about him here. Just kind of build off of that. I Again, I thought Javon was just dynamic for us at star last year. So there is some hesitation and some skepticism on my part, admittedly, about moving him to safety. I, I hope that I kind of have to eat my eat my words here. And, I, and look, I, this, I'm not saying it's a bad move. I am not saying that whatsoever. I think that, that Javon could be a very good safety. His skill set really translates to that position very well, how he's able to drive on the ball, his physicality, his ball skills. He can do that. I, I absolutely have zero doubt about it. In fact, he might end up being a better safety than he was a star. Very, very possible. I, I, I'm not going to sit here and argue that. I, again, I just go back to how good he was for us at star, and so I have some reservations about moving from that position. Now, if Tyke Smith can perform at a higher level than he has during his time here at Georgia, really just, you know, get healthy and, and be the guy that we we're hoping he could be, then that that probably removes my reservations. I just, I need to see that first, right? But what does Javon look like at safety? We've not really seen that. We know he's cross-trained there, but that's a practice thing. We haven't really seen that in games. 
And that's another position that's very critical in our defense. He's replacing a guy that was a big part of our success the past couple of years in Chris Smith, who was a leader on the defense, who knew what to do, who was always in the right spot, didn't really blow assignments, blow coverage. He's a guy that could fill the lane with physicality. I think Javon Bullard's skill set is really comparable to what Chris Smith brought to the table. But man, it's again, it's like you're going from Chris Smith, who played that position for a while, to a guy who's really talented and has started for us, but at another position. And that's just an important spot in our defense. You know, safety is the last line of defense. You, you you mess up there, you blow an assignment, and it's six for the other team. So I do want to see how Javon is progressing playing that position. But everything I've been told, everything that Kirby Smart has said, it indicates that Javon is our number one safety along with Malachi Starks. And I guess I just want some reassurance. I just want some reassurance when it comes to Tyke at star and Javon at safety that we're making the right move there. I trust our coaches really implicitly when it comes to this kind of thing. They know far more about the situation than I do, far more about football than I do, as I often say. But I still want to see it. I want to feel better about it. I want to stop worrying about it. And hopefully that'll be the case coming out of G-Day. Okay, next up, at number four on my list, the top 10 things I'll be watching for at G-Day on Saturday, I'm really watching that left tackle battle very closely, guys. And I'm very confident that we have an answer at that spot, whoever wins it. Now, look, replacing a guy like Broderick Jones, who, oh yeah, by the way, did not give up one single sack last season, that is certainly a difficult proposition. So I know it sounds at least slightly crazy when I sit here and say, Oh yeah, like I'm not worried about it. I, I'm confident we have an answer there, but I am because we recruit in general so well, but we recruit the offensive line very, very well. Ernest Green is a guy that we've talked about several times the past couple of months this offseason. He was a guy that came in in fall camp last year and almost instantaneously caught the attention of the coaches and put himself essentially in the two deep last year. But then he gets a back injury and it kind of lingered and they ultimately ended up deciding to have surgery about mid-season last year. And when you deal with back injuries, you just don't know, man. Like back injuries are, those are tough to deal with and they can linger for a while and they can come back and you're re-aggravated. So it's always one of those things when you start talking about back injuries, it's like, oh, oh, like, you don't know, man. But it, from all accounts, like he's back, he's healthy. He had to miss a few, like he was working out with the team during the winter, but he also was held back from certain things. And it took him some took him a while to get back into into playing shape, right? Because there's a difference between like doing some cardio and actually being out there and playing and going through rep after rep after rep. But it seems like he's really gotten back in the swing of things, and he's once again reminding people of why he was essentially in the two deep as a true freshman coming out of fall camp. But old Austin Blasky sure isn't making things easy on Ernest Green. Now, these two guys have kind of gone back and forth, taking reps of the ones. Blasky, to me, might be the surprise of the spring. Now, I do want to lay eyes on him myself and make my own evaluations. I mean, it's nice to hear things from other people, from some sources around the program. That's always really nice. I like to get that. Trust me. But... I've also learned over the years to kind of take things with a grain of salt until I actually see it with my own two eyes because, you know, everyone should be this way. You should you should trust yourself more than you trust other people, right? When it comes to evaluating prospects, it's one thing to be told something. That's secondhand. I really like to get that firsthand look. Now, a spring scrimmage is what it is. It's, it's not a full, legit game setting, but it's as close as we're going to get until things kick off in early September. So I am very anxious to see what Austin Blasky looks like at the left tackle position. And the reason I call him the surprise of spring is really two things. I've always felt like Austin Blasky was going to start for us at some point. He's a dude that, you know, Curtis and I have mentioned this before, has a wrestling background. And we are really high on guys coming out of high school as wrestlers, not just wrestlers, but guys who are 
very good wrestlers, guys who are state champion caliber wrestlers like Austin Blasky, because it requires a certain level of toughness and also athleticism to be that good at wrestling. I'm a believer there's a very strong correlation between high level wrestlers, like high high level like heavyweight or you know heavier wrestlers, and really good offensive linemen at the college level and eventually the NFL level. I've always felt there's a really strong correlation there. You never say it always happens, but I think there's a really strong correlation there. So I've always felt like he was going to start for us at some point. I just felt it was going to be probably at center or somewhere on the interior of our offensive line. He's been our backup center for a couple of years behind Cedric Van Pran. And honestly, most of last year, I just kind of assumed that Cedric was going to go pro. Uh, that was just the assumption I was operating off of because he was that good for us. I was like, yeah, he's going to go pro. And I felt like Blasky was just going to slide right in there and be our starting center this year. But Cedric Van Pran, surprisingly, a very pleasant surprise, but still surprisingly nonetheless, decides to come back for another year. That, that's huge for our team because he's a massive leader, a big-time leader for us, especially when, you don't have a, when you're going to have a new signal caller under center, no matter who it is, it's really nice to have uh, a, basically a, th- a third-year starter, a center coming back, and a guy that's as talented and as well-respected as Cedric Van Pran is. But I felt like he was going to leave, and I thought that Blasky was, was going to take that spot. Obviously, didn't end up happening that way. So I was very surprised to see Austin Blasky. Honestly, Kirby mentioned him in his very first press conference of the spring, his opening press conference. He mentioned him as a guy who's going to be getting looks at left tackle. He was basically asked, like, how are you going to replace Broderick Jones? You're losing both tackles. And he was essentially like, you know, Marius Mims got some experience. He's probably going to start one of those spots. And then he mentioned Austin Blasky. And I'm like, Austin Blasky? I know he's repped out there. We cross-train guys. I know he's repped out there, but isn't he more of an interior guy? I've always just seen him as more of an interior guy. I didn't know if he had the length to really play out there. But apparently, everything I've been told is that he has been spectacular at left tackle. And I just want to see it. I want to see. It. I believe it. I just, I just need to see it. You know, I need to confirm things with my own two eyes. And I know it's just one practice. In reality, it's just one spring practice. But again, it's the one I get to see. The one we all get to see. So I want to see how this, how this battle is shaping up right now. Like who is the favorite to win that job coming out of the spring? And maybe we won't get a definitive answer there. But it'd also be very reassuring if I watched both those guys and said, you know what? Whoever wins this job, I feel really good about our situation at left tackle. So, I mean, as, as much as we've heard about Ernest Green, as much as I liked him coming out of high school, we haven't seen this guy play really any like one single snap at the college level. Like, I guess he played a couple early in the season, but we haven't seen him play a meaningful snap. Let's say that. And uh, Blasky, I've, I've not seen him play left tackle at all. I really, I have not. So I'm, I'm excited to see these guys, and I, I just want to feel better about that spot because we know offensive line. Uh, the the physicality of our offensive line is a big part of our identity as a football team, especially as an offensive football team. So I, I just want to feel better that we have an answer there. I, I believe we do because I've been told by people we, I trust that we do, but I just, I just want to see it. I want to see it with my own two eyes. All right, let's go ahead, guys. Let's move into the top three. At number three, I am... I, I don't even know how to say this. I am horrified slash... Highly intrigued slash super interested in what's going on at the Jack linebacker position. I don't know how to feel about it. What I what we know is that our depth there is very limited right now in terms of experience. Not so much in talent. We have a ton of really highly talented guys that we recruited that position, but they're all so young. We know that Marvin Jones Jr., a five-star recruit out of the 2022 class, He's been out all spring. Jalen Walker, who was a fringe five-star guy who has been moved outside linebacker to starting his career at inside linebacker last year, 
he is also out with a shoulder surgery this spring. So those two guys who I really wanted to see because I felt like they needed the development this spring at that position because they didn't, you know, Marvin was hurt a fair amount last year. Jalen didn't really play it all that much. So I felt they both needed some time to get those reps. So I'm concerned there. But then we got these three true freshmen who are here as early enrollees and five-star Damon Wilson. You got high four-stars in Samuel Mpimba and Gabe Harris, both guys from IMG Academy. All three of those guys have supreme talent. They are all highly, highly gifted players from a physical standpoint, but not a single one of them have played one single down of college football. That's concerning. I do not care how talented you are. As I said earlier in the episode, you never want to be in the position to have to count on true freshmen. I'm not saying we're quite in that position, but we're pretty damn close to it. Too close for comfort for me. Now, we do have Chaz Chambliss coming back. But Chaz is still, I mean, Chaz has more experience than anyone at that position in that room. But, I mean, what what kind of experience does Chaz have? Chaz has, what, he played like the last eight games of last year, which is good. I'm I'm glad he actually, in retrospect, I'm glad he got that playing time, that experience, because without it, we'd basically be going into this season with zero experience at the Jack linebacker position. So Chaz is going to be a rock for us there. He's a guy that plays really hard. He plays with physicality. Um, coaches trust him, coaches love him. I would like to see him increase his awareness, which which that did improve as he got more reps last year. So I'm, I'm hopeful that continues to improve as he continues to get reps this spring, going to fall camp and heading into the season. But let's also call a spade a spade. Like, let's be real here. As much as I like Chaz Chamis, as much as I respect him, he is not the same caliber athlete as some of these younger guys. He's just not. He's still a really good player for us, and he's always going to have a role in this team. And I love the value he brings. And the leadership is big also as well in that room with all these guys being so inexperienced. But he's not on the same level as an athlete. He's just not. Okay, and that's that's not me trying to take a shot at Chaz. I'm not. I love Chaz, and I'm really excited to have him back again this year. But he's, he, he's not as talented as Damon Wilson or Marvin Jones Jr. or Jalen Walker or Gabe Harris or Samuel Limpimba or even or even Darius Smith, who, by the way, let's talk about Darius Smith. He's a super intriguing athlete. I'm very, he's one of the reasons this is so high up on my list is I, I want to see what we got in Darius Smith here. And we've talked about him a little bit before. Let's just reiterate it. He's a guy that came out of high school last year in the 2022 class, extraordinarily raw as a football player, as a jack linebacker, and, and thinning the britches. You know, he was lighting the britches, needed to put some weight on, but was just oozing with athleticism, with physical ability. I mean, the, the raw athleticism this guy has is off the charts. It's just a matter of harnessing it and getting him to develop at that position to be able to translate it to actually playing football. A lot of guys are great athletes, but can you actually trans that, translate that to playing football and doing things that football players have to be able to do? Some guys can't do that. They never figure it out. Like I think I mentioned Richard Samuel earlier in the week. He's one of those examples, right? Supreme athlete, never quite figured out how to play football. Couldn't translate to playing football. And I, I, I'm not saying that Darius Smith is going to be that kind of guy. I, I have no idea. I'm just saying I want to see to see you know where he is right now. Now, he has been getting some reps with the number one defense this this spring. So I'm excited for him. I want to see because I believe that he has a skill set to be a dynamic edge rusher for us. But I just I haven't seen enough of him at that, position, at that position. He was banged up a lot last year. He played a lot of special teams for us. Didn't really play much out at Jack for us. So I just want to see where he is in his development. He's in his second year. He's healthy right now. He's got a lot, a lot of reps this spring with all those guys being injured. So where is Darius Smith right now? Where are the true freshmen? How much have they progressed through 14 practices this spring? Are they going to be in a position to help us? 
if someone is, who is it? Which of those two freshmen is close to being ready right now? My eyes will certainly be on that position very, very closely on Saturday. All right, number two on my list, I am just giddy with excitement about this player. Dominic Lovett, the transfer from Missouri. It's funny now because I know that Ra Ra Thomas was the first receiver transfer that we got from Mississippi State, and then shortly thereafter, Dominic Lovett commits from from Missouri. And when they both committed, you know, right around the same time, the general consensus among Georgia fans and people out there is that Ra Ra Thomas was the bigger get. I, I sensed that more people were excited about that and felt like that was a bigger deal than getting Dominic Lovett. It's like, oh, we got Ra Ra Thomas. Yes, let's go. And it's like, oh, yeah, also this guy from Missouri. And I felt the opposite. I mean, I, I was high on Ra Ra Thomas. I felt he's a really good player, and I still believe that. But he has nowhere near the level of explosiveness that Dominic Lovett brings to the table. And that's kind of become the name of the game at the receiver position in college football, really in all of football. And I feel like Dominic Lovett had a chance to be one of those dynamic, explosive receivers for us that we've honestly been looking for. Like, we've been trying to find that kind of guy. So I was very excited when we landed him. I wasn't sure how long it would take him to adjust to a new setting, to a new system. I didn't know. You just never really know those things. So when I started to hear essentially immediately, really when he first got to campus, that this guy, like even just in workouts and going out there and throwing, like this guy is like, he's he's different. Like this guy is going to be a big time player for us. And then almost as soon as spring practice kicks off, I'm hearing, dude, Dominic Lovett is the real deal. I mean, I can't tell you how many different times and from different sources I've been told this spring that Dominic Lovett just can't be covered. Like, no one on defense can cover the guy. And when you're saying that about our defense with the caliber of player that we have on defense and also the fact that our defense is very well acquainted with our offense and what the plays are and you still can't stop the guy, that gets your heart racing with excitement. I am I am pumped up for Dominic Lovett and I want to lay eyes on him in a Georgia uniform. I've seen the guy play. I've seen the guy play plenty. I mean, we all saw him play when we were down in Colum- over in Columbia, over, over, up, it's kind of, what, northwest slightly of us, so it's not down in Columbia, I don't know, it's, what, that's, is that a southern thing, people are just like, hey, down in Missouri, it's like, no, it's not down in Missouri, or down there, like, no, it's not there, but anyway, we all, we all saw what he was able to do against us when we played in Columbia, Missouri last year, and, you know, he got hurt late in that game, I'm not going to say we would have lost the game if he, does, he doesn't get hurt, but it sure would have made it more difficult because he was making plays in that game. So you've seen him. I've seen him. I want to see him in a Georgia uniform and see like everything I've been hearing. Is it, is it, is it really true? Like, is he really that good? Again, it's one, it's one spring game. You know, Take it for what it is, but I would love to see him make a couple plays and, and see for myself that everything I've been hearing is, is actually legit. And finally, guys, I'm sure you've probably guessed by now that the one thing that I'll be watching most closely on Saturday, obviously, is a quarterback position. Like, what else was it going to be? I mean, right? It's the most important position on the field. We're replacing the best quarterback in Georgia history, by far the most accomplished quarterback in Georgia history, and I would argue the greatest quarterback in Georgia history. Some people might disagree with me on that. I mean, I, I don't even see how it's still a discussion. He's clearly the greatest quarterback in Georgia history. So we're losing that guy and we got to find a replacement for him. We've talked about this ad nauseum this spring, every single week when we've recapped what we learned from the week that was in spring practice, we've talked about the quarterback battle. There seems to be a weekly update. I'm not going to rehash all that right now because you've heard me talk about it every week for the past month. But where we are right now, none of the three options, whether it's Carson Beck, who I still believe to be the favorite for the job, Brought Vandegrift, who appears to have taken really good strides in the right direction. 
or Gunnar Stockton, the sophomore, who's kind of the wild card in the battle. None of them have pulled away from the rest of the competition. And I don't know what to think of that. On one hand, you could say, well, maybe Carson Beck's just not as good as we thought he was, or I should speak for myself. I shouldn't speak for anyone else. I shouldn't say we. I should say I thought he was because he hasn't pulled away from Brock Vandegrift. Now, Gunnar Stockton, from everything I've been told the past couple of weeks, is, is kind of falling back in the battle. Like He's not getting reps with the ones. He's getting reps with the twos and mainly really the threes. So I, as of right now, unless things change, I don't really think he's a legitimate contender to actually win the job. I think this is a two-horse race right now with Beck and Vandegrift. But on one hand, it's like, okay, well, Beck hasn't pulled away. Maybe he's not as good as I thought he was. Maybe I I just overestimated what he was capable of. But on the other hand, maybe it's like, no, Beck's still really, really good, but Vandegrift has just raised his game. I'm hoping it's the latter, but I really just want to see. I want to see where these guys are right now. I'm going to be, more than anything, I'm watching for decision-making. I'm watching for decision-making, master the offense, comfort level, those kind of things. Both these guys have good arm talent. I know that that Brock is obviously the better athlete, but as I told you guys many times over the past month or so, you know, Carson's not a bum of an athlete. Carson is a good athlete. He's just not quite the runner that Vandegrift is. So I don't really have concerns there. I just, I want to see who who's in control, who's operating the offense, who's going through their progressions, who's making the right reads of the defensive coverages, who's going through the right place with the football. Those are the things that I'm going to be watching for. Now, of course, it'd be nice to see these guys make some, some really nice throws, some pinpoint throws and put the ball where it needs to be what I would call plus accuracy. Of course, I want to see that. That's a big part of playing the position too. But I, I'm pretty confident both those guys' ability to do that. I want to see the mental aspect of this. That's what I'm focusing on more than anything. And look, let's not kid ourselves here. Nobody is going to win this job coming out of the spring. There's not going to be a starting quarterback named after the spring as much as we might want to know who it is. We want to, we want to go ahead and just end it. We want to have a guy that's set to be the, the guy that everyone's going to rally around going into the summer months. That'd be great. That'd be ideal. But Based on what I've heard at this point, that's just simply not going to happen. We haven't had anybody pull away for whatever reason. It hasn't happened. So I have no expectations of that happening. But I do want to get a feel for who is poised to head into the summer months, into fall camp eventually, as the leader in the clubhouse. Who's going to leave spring as the guy who's who's leading this battle? And maybe it's nobody. Maybe we come out of this saying, you know what, it's just neck and neck. It's a draw right now. Maybe that's the case. But I'm very curious to get a look at these guys, so hopefully that we can get some semblance of a feel for where this quarterback battle stands right now going into the summer. All right, guys, so there you have it. That was my official G-Day preview, the 10 things that I'll be watching most closely on Saturday. Just got a few minutes left here before I got to get out of here, so I do want to take a couple of minutes to talk about your outright SEC champion, Georgia men's tennis team, 42-time SEC champion, by the way. First time since 2017. And guys, I am so excited. You know, you hear me talk about Georgia tennis quite a bit this time of year. Uh, I'm a huge Georgia tennis guy. I I go to all these matches, men's and women's. And I have to tell you guys, if you haven't been following Georgia tennis as closely as I do, following that last SEC championship in 2017, this program, this proud Georgia men's tennis program, fell on some lean years, at least by our standards. Now, it's not that we were missing the NCAA tournament, that kind of thing, but we, we had a couple of years. We were like middle of the pack in the SEC. Some programs that had no business beating Georgia were beating Georgia in the SEC, losing to programs like Auburn, which as far as I'm concerned, like that, they're not even remotely on our level when it comes to SEC tennis or to college tennis in general. 
And uh, we had a couple couple years where, yeah, we made the NCAA tournament, but we were like three seeds and we weren't even hosting the first round, which is that's not normal, guys, by the way. Like we host the first round of the NCAA tournament. It's, it's all, if you're a top 16 team, you host the first round of the NCAA tournament, the first two rounds, actually. And my entire Georgia tennis life, going back a decade plus now, we've always hosted, but you know, following 2017 for a couple of years, we didn't. The overall talent fell off a little bit, and Georgia just Georgia tennis just wasn't where I was accustomed to it being for a couple of years. But it's back, baby. We are back where we belong, and I am freaking pumped about it, guys. And I want to give a lot of credit here. I want to give a lot of credit to our senior class. It's it's a group of fifth-year seniors, actually. Philip Henning from South Africa, Trent Bride, and Blake Croyder. And also, I, I got to throw some love to BJ, Britton Johnson, who's who didn't play a ton throughout his career, but he's been a really key member of, of our team this year, playing three doubles. And um, I, I, he's a, you, you root for a guy like that, who stuck around, didn't transfer out, didn't have immediate success, didn't have the immediate gratification, but kept working, kept grinding, and found his way into the lineup. It's been a big part of our success this season in the doubles lineup. But I want to give a lot of credit to this group of seniors. I have loved every second of watching these guys play. And it's not just the talent, guys. They're definitely talented players. Don't get me wrong. Absolutely, they're talented players. I mean, Phil's a top 20 player nationally in singles. But it's really the way these guys represent the University of Georgia, the way they represent the G. It's just a great group of guys. That's that's the best way to describe it. It's just a great group of guys. I don't know any of them. I've never talked to any of them. I'm not going to sit here and say that, but just watching them, observing them. When you go to the Damageo Tennis Complex, it's more of an intimate setting, right? So I, I go to, I've gone to every match all five years they've been here, and you get to kind of get, you get the feel for these guys out there, how they interact with each other, uh, how they interact with their coaches, how they play, all those things. And they just seem like a great group of guys. I know the coaching staff, Manny and Jamie, love them. I have a soft spot for them. I know the coaches do. But the one thing that's always been so impressive about this group to me is how they fight. These guys have no quit in them, even when they lose matches. We don't win every match. Now, we won 12 in a row, baby, but you know we lost a couple matches early in the year. A lot of teams were just gone in the tank, you know, disappointing all these fifth-year seniors back. You had high expectations. You lose some matches early in the season. You shouldn't lose. We lost the match to Illinois that we, if we played them this, right now, if we played them tomorrow, kind of feeling we probably wouldn't lose to Illinois. Lost to Florida State at Florida State. Again, if we played them right now, got a strong feeling we, we wouldn't lose to Florida State. And just watching these guys in their matches, they fight till the very end. Again, they're not going to win every match. Trent Ride, Philip Henning, Blake Crow, they don't win every match. But the guys don't quit. They will fight till the very end. They will make you earn it. And I have so much respect for that. And I am so appreciative of what these guys have given our program and what they have done for Georgia Tennis to put us back on top where this program belongs. And guys, we ain't done yet. This team, I told you at the beginning of the season, we have a legitimate national championship contender in our men's tennis team. And our women's tennis team, by the way. We'll get to them in a minute here. But I, I, I think you're seeing... What I was talking about, like we have a legitimate, not just SEC championship contender. We've already done that. We have a legitimate national championship contender. Are we the favorites to win it? No, we're not. But guys, we're inside the top five now. We Again, we had a little bit of a slow start to the season. We, we scheduled really tough this year because we knew what we had coming back and we had a little rough patch there. So it kind of hurt our ranking, but we fought all the way back, won 12 in a row. And by the way, it's not like we're just beating nobodies. We've beaten seven ranked opponents in those 12 straight wins and we've catapulted ourselves all the way up to number four in the country. 
And guys, we've beaten some really, really good tennis teams along the way. I mean, we beat Kentucky, who was, when we beat them, they were number four. We beat Tennessee, who's a really, really good tennis team. We beat South Carolina on the road. Heck, we beat South Carolina twice. We beat them in the national indoors as well. That was a team that was ranked number two in the country about three weeks ago. And we have our final home match of the regular season. We've already clinched the outright SEC title. We did that this morning. Had to play a nine o'clock match. That was SEC dictated with the weather here. It sucked. I hated it being at nine o'clock. It was what it was. Um, but we, we clinched with that win over Mississippi State. We lost a doubles point. We won six. We won all six singles matches. So it was ultimately a dominant win for us. But we got Ole Miss, another ranked team, coming into town on Saturday at one o'clock, which is a couple hours before G Day. So again, I know a lot of you are coming in town for G Day. Come on out to the Dan McGill Tennis Complex, guys, before G-Day. It's the perfect way to get your G-Day Saturday started. I'm telling you, if you've never taken a Georgia tennis match, you are missing out. And I got a feeling it's going to be a really raucous crowd. It's going to be a big-time crowd. The last couple matches have been. Um, had some, now, we played some big-time teams, but you know this team, is, this team is the real deal. You don't want to miss out on your opportunity to come see them play. You'll be in town. Come on over. You can, hell, you can walk to the stadium from the, to, from the McGill Complex. So come on, watch them. It's free. It's totally free. You'll love every second of it. College tennis is amazing. It's the best-kept secret in college sports, and I don't want it to be the best-kept secret anymore. I want it to be the, some, the thing that everybody knows about. And then on the other side, the women's tennis team, is also having a hell of a year. We've lost one match in the SEC. We lost to Texas A&M on the road. And guys, there's no shame in that. A&M is number two in the country. They are very, very good. Now, we are capable of beating A&M. We had to play them on the road. We lost that match 5-2, but a couple of the matches that we lost were like razor-thin margins. We easily could have won that match if we ended up playing them again at a neutral site. Like, oh, I don't know, in the SEC tournament in Fayetteville uh, next weekend. I think we have a legitimate shot to beat them. But we're also ranked inside the top five on the women's side. We're number four as well. If I remember correctly, last time I looked, we were the only program in the country with both teams, men's and women's tennis teams, inside the top five nationally. Just like the men, the women are also a national title contender. And one thing that's really helping both teams is we have elite players at court one. And look, consciousness is about depth, guys. It's not just about having one great player on court one. But we've, this Georgia, especially the men's tennis team, we've had great depth for a while. Like we've had really good players on court four, court five, even court six, but we kind of lacked that dominant court one player. That is not a problem anymore. We have one of the, if not the best players in the country in redshirt freshman Ethan Quinn, who has beaten some of the best players in the country this season. And he is a, he is an elite player on court one. We finally have that elite court one player to go along with the great depth that we have up and down the singles lineup. And that makes it very tough to beat us. If we win the doubles point, that means the opponent has to win four out of six singles matches to beat us. That's very difficult. Now, we don't always win the doubles point, but if we do win the doubles point, it's really tough to beat this Georgia men's tennis team right now. The same thing for the women's tennis team. Now, women's tennis team has really struggled in doubles. We've had to mix the lineup up a little bit. We're getting better. We've won two doubles points in a row. Let's go, baby. That's something. After we lost, I think we lost like five out of six or six out of seven, something like that. And it was like, damn, man, like what's going on there? But we seem like we've kind of gotten to a little bit more of a, of a groove there. So I like what I'm seeing there, but we're just really, really deep on the single side on the women's team. And it, it starts with Leah Ma on court one. She's a player who's always had all the talent in the world. She's just kind of had to, to grow and develop and mature on the court from like the, the I, I would say the mental standpoint of things, but she has turned the corner this year, guys. And she, as good as Katarina Jokic was for us on court one and Kat was just a killer, 
I don't know, man. Like Leah is super talented. Like, she can do some things that I don't even know if Cat was able to do. Like hit some shots, and she just makes it look so easy and effortless out there. And she is dialed in this year. In fact, she's the only player in the country that has beaten the number one ranked women's singles player from North Carolina. It's a girl named Fiona Crawley. Leah beat her at North Carolina earlier in the year when we played them on the road. Now we lost that match, but it was a pretty tight match. I think we, we we gave North Carolina about as tough of a match as they've had all year. And North Carolina is really, really good. I mean, they're the odds-on favorite to win the title on the on the women's side. But, hey, you know, any given day, we are capable of beating them. And Leah gives us a great chance. But we have great depth. We have two players on the women's team inside the top 10. Along with Leah, you got Dasha Vidmanova on court two as a sophomore. She's coming in at number nine right now, if I remember correctly, last time I saw. Mel Riasco, another sophomore on court three. She's a great player. And if you've heard me talk about Georgia women's tennis before, which some of you have, I'm sure, you've heard me talk about Meg Kowalski. Um... I don't know what to say about Meg other than that she's the best man. Like, I think I tweeted this out earlier today, some on the lines of, I'll say it again here. If you're looking for a damn good dog, look no further than Meg Kowalski. Like, she is as good as it gets. Five time community service team member. Um, just like she is going to take over the world one day, probably. She's one of the best teammates I've ever had the chance to watch. She pl- talk about fighting and playing to the very end. That is, that is what Meg Kowalski does. I'll never forget her. Uh, as a freshman in the uh, NCAA tournament, I think it was the quarterfinals in Orlando, or I guess Lake Nona is where it's technically held, and we were down there watching it, and um, she, it was a tight match. It was, was against Duke. I can't remember. It might have, I think it was Duke. I think it was against Duke. I think that was the match we were playing, but whoever it was, it was a tight match, and her match was, was going to be a critical point, and the girl was vomiting multiple times on the court and didn't stop. How many tennis players do that, guys? Like, it just doesn't happen as a freshman. And she not only was doing that, kept playing, she won the freaking match. That's Meg Kowalski in a nutshell. That's that's who this girl is. And then you got Gigi Grant on court six as a sophomore who has been a revelation for us on court six. I think she's lost one dual match on court six since she kind of took over that role uh, at the National Indoor Tournament and won a big match for us there. I think she was the one that clinched the semifinals, I want to say, and uh, sent us to the finals. She has been so good on court six and singles. And I think she's the most natural doubles player we have. She's a pleasure. She's so fun to watch as a doubles player. So just like the men, we have a legitimate national title contender on the women's side. I wish they were in town this weekend as well, but they're not. They wrapped up their their home regular season slate last weekend. But college tennis is awesome, guys. I know I wax poetic a lot about it. It's because I'm trying to spread the word, man. I I want people who haven't given a shot to give it a shot because I think if you do, actually, I'm convinced if you do, that you're going to fall in love with it just like I did. So, again, if you're in town this weekend, come on out to the Dan McGill Tennis Complex at 1 o'clock. Support the men's tennis team. It is senior day. The senior day uh, activities will will go off at 1245. So, again, guys, these seniors deserve our support for what they have done for the University of Georgia, for our tennis program. So, come on out. Support them. Have a great time. Watch Georgia, Georgia tennis totally free. And then you can head over to Sanford Stadium to take in G-Day. But all right, guys, that's all I got for you here today. Thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Sorry that we couldn't get Curtis on here. We tried, guys. We tried. Just, um, yeah, one of those things. Could not make it work. But hopefully I was able to, to fill that football fix for you today. So have a great weekend, guys. Enjoy G-Day, whether you're coming in town, whether you're watching it at home. Have a fantastic weekend. I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.